0: Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour.
1: Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department.
0: for joining us i'm your host mike thomas
1: and i'm suzanne Sargis.
0: we're bringing you the latest news in springfield public schools in regards to technology along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom
1: we'll also inform you of the latest updates practices and news as it pertains to our district whether you are new to using technology in the classroom or a seasoned vet we are here to help
0: coming up next in case you missed it you missed it the latest blog post is up and we discuss one of the great new tools in office 365 and that is sway you may be asking yourself what is sway and how do I use it well you should sway on over to the blog and check it out
1: in case you missed it August PD is open for enrollment make sure you sign up to get your PDPs Paras, make sure you sign up for your Paracentric trainings. Go to My Learning Plan and search for your school and sign up. There you can also find Retail, Education, Intro to Spanish, MTEL Prep classes. Sign up today.
0: In case you missed it, we have a YouTube and Microsoft video page for training videos. If you may be asking yourself how to try to do something, you should go there, check it out. If you can't find what you're looking for, message us at DLA Support, and we will point you in the right direction.
1: In case you missed it, start making your summer plans. The school year is coming to an end and I know some of you out there are counting down the days. Remember that you'll have access to Brightspace all summer to develop your content and it's as easy as copying from one course to the next. Look for a training video on this. The first week of be
0: neat. That's it for in case you missed it. Coming up next, Hot Takes. back. We are going to get into our hot takes this week and my hot take as I mentioned from our recap video is all about design thinking in school not design theory. So what does this all mean? Design thinking is one of those buzzwords in education just like growth mindset and grit and just kind of some of those newer ideas in education that people are starting to explore more And so I figured because a few podcasts back, we talked about design thinking, but we didn't really explain it. So my thought this week was why not have an article or see what pops up that talks about design thinking. So what I really liked about this article, Suzanne, is that it starts out telling you about some teachers going to a conference that talks about design thinking, being there, being wowed, but then walking away saying, I don't know how to do that. It's like there's no clear-cut way. and So I thought that was one of the interesting things that, I mean, the article just jumps in right there.
1: Right. I completely agree. The uh, person who went to that training uh, says that design thinking isn't one thing, but a bundle of mindsets and philosophies all wrapped up in one term, which definitely has the potential to lead to ambiguity and misunderstanding. People who went to that training said, I think I missed something. I still don't get it. I don't understand it and I think they're looking for clear-cut steps that they can bring into their classroom, and it's not quite that simple.
0: I know, I think anytime we think about curriculum, we're like, all right, how is this easy to apply into what I'm doing? So when I taught fifth grade, I got my envisions book, and I'm like, all right, so how do I apply this into what we're teaching? I look at the standards, I look at what curriculum I'm being given, and then I marry them together. With design thinking, it's a lot less about an actual curriculum and a lot of real world problems which I found interesting because quite frankly I can't think of any curriculum out there that kind of really meets that that I've seen maybe our listeners have seen it but I, sh- I surely haven't and so in thinking about like looking through these projects that they're doing and how it's very much a student-centric, student-led, and student understandings developed through their own educational leadings. It was very, it was hard to still grasp even at this point in the article.
1: Right, I think, you know, as you said, it's not a separate curriculum and with everything that teachers have to do within the day, it's, it's easier if it is very black and white and they're given steps. Okay, we want you to do design thinking and that means you're gonna do X, Y, and Z. But it's more of a mindset. And I think, you're right, I think there are probably a lot of teachers out there today who are doing this and they just don't know that they're doing it. So as we get into some more of the details of what design thinking really is, I think it will start to make sense.
0: So our, the article which came out of The Atlantic, one of the things that they go through is the very first thing is design thinking starts with empathy, which I found very interesting. Um, So when designing anything meant to be used by another person, like that is like the start of design thinking is again, I, to me, that goes back to like a real world problem. Like we have a problem with feeding people in the city. What are are you going to do about it? So like you get that connection to where you feel something. And I think this is where like Skype in the classroom can help because you can Skype with people all around the world and you can talk to them about the things that are going on over there and they can talk to you about the things going on over here. So you start to develop some empathy with that and then that could help lead into maybe the next part, which is research but I know you want to, I see it in your eyes, you want to say something about the empathy part. Yes,
1: I'm sitting here saying, don't go on, don't go on. I have something to say about empathy. And again, the the terminology that we use in so many different contexts in education, it can be so confusing. So Mike, you, you immediately understood when this author started talking about empathy, how it related to real world problems. And you have a much deeper understanding of design thinking Uh, than I did before reading this article. So when I saw that word empathy, the first thing that comes to my mind is the very basic thinking of someone else before yourself, right, the the basic definition of empathy. But then to bring that into the classroom, to me, I I take that as how can I design my classroom so that it is uh, most effective for every learner in my classroom. So whether I've got a child who is below grade level, above grade level, someone who has special needs, someone who may be autistic, absolutely everything I do in my teaching, I want to be empathetic. I want to say to myself, all right, what do I need to do differently so that that student learns as much as they possibly can in my classroom?
0: Yeah, and I think with this first part, like they really... They really drive home this idea about being able to help somebody. Um, with the example that they give, in the case of an urban design project for example, students just can't design a pretty building. They must think about the needs of the people who will live there as well as the available resources budget and impact that the building will have on the surrounding landscape. The design thinking philosophy requires designers to put his or her ego aside and to meet the unmet needs, both rational and emotional of the user. And so to me, it's very much a thinking about something bigger than yourself. And I know that teaching fifth grade, like I had a hard time getting the students to be thinking about others outside of themselves, because their world was very narrow into I live in Springfield, this is what matters to me, and not thinking about anything else. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, they have to really um, challenge themselves to think about not just what's rational, but what's emotional, and to balance the two. And for the teachers, to put that ego aside uh, can sometimes be a challenge as well. With everything that is demanded of teachers, teachers always want to do, in my opinion, they want to do their best, and they, they want to perfect everything that they're trying to deliver. But the bottom line is are your students learning? Are, do your students get it? So it's not all about the teacher, it's whether or not the students understand what you're trying to teach them. So you may think that you're, you're teaching this content by the pacing guide and by the lesson plans, by the curriculum, everything is just as it's supposed to be on paper, but you have to step back and ask yourself, okay, I'm doing all of this. Did my students get it? And if not, then you have to say, all right, let me twist everything around, switch my thinking, deliver it differently so that my students understand it.'" Mike was the ability to organize and make sense of all the information that students student designers gather as they start a project it reminded me of the research that we were talking about in a different podcast that um, this is a very difficult skill I think students are are, uh, very good at coming up with ideas brainstorming and you could have 50 items on a brainstorm chart but then to be able to look at all of that and organize it, make sense of it, and go forward, that's thats not easy.
0: Yeah, and so with design theory and kind of the way that they're going about it, which is a very much a project-based learning approach to it, they're saying that the next part after they gain the empathy is gathering all the research and keeping that organized and making it make sense. And so I think one thought about like how this would have been very applicable to Springfield is for those of you who don't know, you probably do, but downtown right along 91 there's been construction for a couple of years now and they're about a year or two away and they're building a casino. So in deciding on doing that casino they actually went through a lot of this whole design thinking process. They first we're trying to figure i don't know their empathy part i'm not going to speak to it but i'm just going to take a guess that they were trying to figure out how to bring jobs to the area and so then they did their research and then the companies came in and they looked at all the surrounding areas the effects that it would have the simple fact that not only did springfield have to sign off on the casino but all the surrounding towns had to too and so they had to put all this research together, which probably took them a long time. They probably had it for a while. And so like, um, that's just part of like a planning project. So this design theory is you gather all this research, you keep it organized and you figure out how to help all of the people there in that spot.
1: Right, and Mike, do you think that in Your example of um, the project that you just mentioned on 91, do you think they got it the first time through? Their Their first draft of that entire project, their first proposal to all the surrounding towns, did they write it up and succeed first time?
0: i would imagine they didn't although i will admit i don't follow the news very closely (laughs) so i would imagine it probably went through a bunch of iterations there was probably a bunch of town meetings to hear the needs of the people so they had to have done a lot of research um, which allowed them to generate ideas because i think one of the things that i do remember from the past year was that people were upset that it was going to be x height and not y height and they had promised that it was going to be y height, and um, so with, and this comes into the third part, which is to generate ideas after you do your research and then get up prototypes. They had to come up with what they thought the building would look like, and so that went through a bunch of iterations, and then even that there was changes there. So was this easy to get through? Probably not. Are they still fighting battles? Probably that we don't even know
1: right, and I think everyone who was involved in that project You know there might have been people that that put a plan together and presented it and inside they're thinking this is perfect This is going to go straight through and it didn't Mm -hmm. they had to be comfortable as this article uh, Says they need to be comfortable with failure put a plan together generate ideas do the best you can but be okay if it fails and you have to, again, empathize with everyone involved, listen to them, generate more ideas, sift through it, organize it, and try again. That, that piece about being comfortable with failure, I think is very valuable, no matter what your job is.
0: And it's very hard to teach. Yes. I don't know about the older grades, because I never taught the older grades, but I know when I taught fifth grade, If students didn't do something right the first time, there was like an immediate shutdown of I did it right. You're doing it wrong. Like they would tell me I'm doing it wrong. I am looking at not only my work that went along as the example, but I'm also taking the teacher book. I'm thinking of math in this particular instance where the math book has the work all done out. I have the work all done out a separate way. And both of us got the same answer but the student got something different and they're like you're wrong and I'm right and that's it which is a hard thing to kind of break through that it's like it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to fail and then it's you have to be willing to even come back and try again
1: exactly and the, the key piece too in that example that you just described is to have that discussion with the student of what process did they go through and why do they why are they convinced that they're right and Mm -hmm. have them prove it right of course I remember that from when I taught sixth grade Mm -hmm. math when similar situations and I would just ask them okay prove it prove it and we'll talk about it (laughs) but yes try and try again and um
0: and this is um where class dojo actually like for those teachers who use class dojo Um, They have a lot of great things and a lot of great videos to help not only teach that failure is okay But like how to overcome those roadblocks um, In that and so if you haven't used ClassDojo, it's another great tech tool It applies into what we're talking about now. It applies in a lot of ways PBIS teachers use it quite a bit and um, It helps the students see from another point of view how it's okay to fail. It's about getting up, trying again, Mm -hmm. and not giving up. Because I can think of many examples in my life where I've done things wrong or made mistakes and would consider myself a failure. It took me the longest time to get over the need of perfection. There was probably my second year teaching where I was so focused on doing everything Perfect. that I would I probably slept that year maybe two, three hours a night and that's including the weekends where I was working. I was focused on what I had to do, how to do it right and making sure it got right because as a teacher, in a lot of ways you end up feeling like these kids' lives depend on you and they depend on how you interact with them and how you educate them no pressure. And no pressure. <laughs> and so my need of perfection would keep creeping in, and I had a hard time with failure. If a student got lower than a 70 uh, on something, I'm like, I know many of you are like, a 70 is a C, borderline D. I'm like, 70 is passing. If you think and most of the time in life, you don't get a letter grade for what you do, you get a pass fail for what you do. Either you pass, you do just good enough or you do exceptionally well or you don't make it and you get cut. I mean, that to me, that's more real life than A, B, C, D, F. And so for me, if they got anything that was like a 70 or below, I felt like the failure. Even though we went over it 30 times in class, they left with 12 examples. It was an open note quiz and they got a 65 because they weren't careful when they were writing. But it was my fault. And so that's where I know I struggled with this idea. And I know that if I'm struggling with it as an adult, I can't imagine students with some, I've done some of the home visit projects in Springfield too. And I've like been into their homes and I can see where many of them get frustrated when they don't do it right the first time, because there's an immense, pressure on them from all over the place.
1: Right. There's so much that goes into that mentality. And um, as you know, I could talk for hours just on this one piece of it. But I think part of it, in, in my opinion, part of it has to do with how you're raised, right? What my parents said to me and what their expectations were, no matter what it was. And I think for you know a few generations, the expectation is you go to school, you, you, you listen, you behave, you take a test, you pass the test. And if you don't pass the test, then you're not doing your job. But I think that gets ingrained in so many people's minds mm-hmm. that it's, it's hard to break. Um, what I loved at the uh, end of this description of design thinking was the sentence that said the value of the experience does not lie solely in the end product. I think so many of us just concentrate on that end product, whether or not it's an assessment, it's that end product. And Mm -hmm. we lose track of the whole experience and all the value that that experience has. So that's what what I took away from this um, and just Going through the foundational aspects again, we started with the empathy, and then we went on to the organization of all the ideas, um, all the research and, and ideas that students gathered, then generating ideas and being comfortable with failure, and, um, and then finally the end product. But it wasn't the end product that was the be all and end all. It was the whole process.
0: like that they don't focus on the end product being something you hand in to the teacher and yes. it never gets seen again. Right. Because how many of us have given out assignments where we've collected them, graded them, handed them back and they end up in the trash at the end of the day? I can't think of how many times that has happened. And you're like, but I wanted you to read it. I wanted you to make it better. Mm-hmm. And um, so I liked that the, once they've created stuck with one of their ideas and they come up with it and then they focus on it and then they I'm just gonna for lack of a better word they build it Um, once it's been prototyped and tested then they share it whether it is um, like a big show where parents and people come in to observe or it's something you share with people out in the world by adding it to a blog or um, Skyping it out to another class so they can work and see your project so you can very pen palish or um, you create they students create a video to explain what they're doing but there's some sort of end product that is not just for the teacher or the classroom but it's more for the community and again that comes back to like how this design thinking philosophy is really like a way to go about project based learning. And I love, love, love the example they use from Apollo 13. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, it's fantastic. Totally going to ruin it for you now. So spoiler alert, even though the movie came out in like the 1990s, somethings, we're not going to look it up right now. but. You can look it up and message us. Leave us a little comment saying you got that wrong. It was two thousand one, but it's probably not. It's probably nineteen like ninety six or seven. I don't know. It came around the same time Twister did. Um, but anyways, they talk about how like this whole design theory is like put to the test in Apollo thirteen because the spaceship has a problem out in space. They're not going to be able to get home. They have one person in their engineer team is behind looking at everything that's available on the spaceship and then trying to come up with a solution essentially to put a circle into a square peg and how to do that so it allows them to get home and i mean i love the movie i'm i'm a sucker for those kind of movies um but they had to go through this idea of understanding the needs and the resources of the astronauts organizing everything working together to develop and prototype many ideas because I remember very clearly that they thought they had it at one and then something moved and it fell apart. And there, there, I think there was a bunch of cursing at that point and then they got up and they tried again. And even though the solution was not pretty, a lot of duct tape was used, uh, but it was creative and effective and it saved their lives, which is like design theory in a nutshell.
1: Exactly. And the key word that you used there was creative. I mean, who would think that astronauts were creative people, right? You, you hear the word astronaut, and I don't really think of creative <laughs> people. I think of of mathematical, scientific, um, pretty much geeky kind of people, which probably isn't true, right? But they, they had to be creative out of necessity, and they did it, which means it's not impossible. People can be creative no matter mm-hmm. what their... Uh, stereotypical um, strengths are. You may think that a student is so strong in math and has no creativity but I bet you're wrong (laughs) which reminds me of the podcast we did a couple weeks ago (laughs) with um, girls in coding Mm -hmm. and how even though you may think someone is very creative they can also be an awesome computer programmer.
0: That is true. So at this point, this is about halfway through the article for those of you who are interested in knowing, but they go through kind of step by step what it looks like, but then they reiterate that it's not a formula, which I liked because it just reminded you it's if our thinking was formulaic, then we would have formulaic answers that would be applicable every button, everyone everywhere. It would be the same answer each time, but that's not reality. And that's not even allowing that creativity to flow because if everyone is supposed to end up at the same point, then a lot of things get lost along the way creatively. And so I I liked that. And that they even talk about like the history of creativity is something that's like elusive. And as they say, like they call it elusive force, a gift from the gods or the muses. And, um, it's just one of those things where after like I watched a superhero movie this weekend in the theater and they were talking about how he's like he's a god and he can do put his hands together and electricity can come through it. But that's kind of like how they're describing how a lot of times creativity is described. It's like all of the things come together. Creativity just comes in your mind and the light bulb flashes and now you're creative. And then tomorrow you are not creative. So it's one of those things that allows us that thinking, which you had mentioned, that creativity is everywhere, and that everyone is creative.
1: Right, and what an awesome quote to have up on your classroom wall, right? We'll add that to my collection, too. (laughs) Um, Coming directly from this article, Creativity can't be summoned, the thinking goes, let alone taught to the mentally inflexible, unimaginative, museless masses design thinking upends that perception and assumes that anyone can be a creative problem solver that's the message we want to send to our students Mm -hmm. right anyone can do anything and it's it's not always easy to model but I think it's a mindset that's important
0: yeah and I think in thinking in terms of technology using something like scratch is a perfect example of this because You don't have to have the artistic ability to draw the shapes. You don't have to, what we consider create, uh, what society in general considers creative, the drawing, the acting, the singing. A computer programmer is creative because they are creating something out of nothing, really. Other than a bunch of ones and zeros, for those of us who can get really technical on it. I can't, but I pretend I can't. Um, but like, there's creativity in that. I mean, there's a whole reason why like the, I think of the opening of the matrix with the green numbers and the ones and the zeros flashed down. I'm like, that means something. That, like, it's being creative.
1: Right, I think technology today allows so many people to be To use their creativity in ways that were never possible 30 Mm -hmm. years ago and it's um, it's amazing I think there's so much more that is coming in the next few years Uh, I do feel older and older as I think (laughs) about it but you know as we talked about um, in the last podcast or a previous podcast about the the reach of technology and how out of the billions of people on this planet the majority of people with technology are concentrated in North America and Europe. So imagine what is possible if that reach expands and all these people across the world Mm. can show us how creative they are.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it will definitely change society once we reach that point. To kind of finish wrapping up this article, um, one of the things I like is that they talked about, like, at its best design thinking incorporates proven effective teaching techniques such as self-directed inquiry collaborative problem solving and dovetails nicely with social emotional learning curricula that emphasizes interpersonal skills such as collaboration and empathy and the end result is often something tangible as like a model city a robot or a better mouse trap or whatever your project happened to be but then it could at its worst be just a checklist of things that you're trying to accomplish, which is where a lot of people tend to fall. And the article even mentions that with, um, mind, growth mindset and also Angela Duckworth and her research on like what makes people successful and her thoughts on grit and how that's when we reduce these huge concepts down to a checklist, we miss out on it.
1: Right, and and a thought that I've had um, off and on throughout our conversation, and I've just forgotten to to add it in, is that I do think that many of our teachers are currently using design thinking and they're just not aware of it. I mean, just think Mm of a variety of situations in a classroom or in a school where they need to have a discussion with their students because there's a problem, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And as a class, they brainstorm ideas of how to handle it, how to fix it. So they're doing it. They just don't know it.
0: Right. And sometimes it's not seen as applicable to what they're covering for the curriculum either. But along the way, I think it's more about just kind of this, if we start off with this awakening of how design theory works and we're thinking about it and we're using it, then it will seep into all aspects. Because I think back to two weeks ago when we talked about Pam Moran, the superintendent in, um, was it Virginia or West Virginia? It was one of those two. I can't remember off the top of my head. But she talked about letting her middle school go ahead and redesign the cafeteria. And their project-based learning, design, thinking. I'm sure that they went through this whole process of coming up with ideas. And then she turns around and sees them building gigantic structures. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not what I thought. But that goes back to the creativity part that we were just talking about. It's like, exactly, it may not have been what she had envisioned, but it was what the students were envisioning. And it was student-led, student inquiry. And it's just, it's a great way to see design theory and practice
1: right right and it's a radical shift the uh, piece that we did last week predicted a radical shift in what education was going to look like and I think um, this is part of it to be able to accept design thinking and everything that goes along with it you have to kind of give up some of your control right and you know as a teacher Mm -hmm. as you said you were up all night trying to perfect everything that you were going to do the next day because you wanted to have that control of what you were teaching and what your Students were going to learn and you wanted it to be perfect. So it's very very difficult I think to be able to step back and say, okay I I might fail at this. This might not go smoothly. This might not be perfect, but in the end It's gonna be worth it
0: And with that I think we're gonna wrap up this article and this talking, and we're going to check out our next hot take.
1: Okay, my hot take this week is an article I found on 36 educational podcasts to energize your teaching.
0: Oh my gosh, you found a list?
1: I found a list, and I know you like lists, so I oh thought boy. Mike is going to love my hot take this week. Now, I did. <laughs> 36 is a lot, I know. It's, so I narrowed it down to, to my top 10 among these 36.
0: Good, because if we talked about 36 it, and we worked trying to be like, we're going to do one a minute that's over half the podcast
1: right and I don't think people want to listen to me that long <laughs> but what I loved about it is you know as you mentioned in in a previous podcast uh, I was not extremely familiar with podcasts up until we started this one and so when I found this list I thought this is this is great we can now tell our listeners not only to listen to us.
0: Please listen to us. Like (laughs) us, like us, like us. Give us some good reviews on iTunes. We don't have any yet.
1: (laughs) But we can also inform them about uh, several other podcasts that are available to them. I know you and I, as we have our conversations, I mentioned this too, I get energized just with our conversations on a weekly basis and I think teachers get energized by talking to their peers, by listening to their peers, by getting new ideas from other people in their profession. So I thought they would appreciate uh, some of these podcasts that I found.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of them here and I have to admit, I saw the list and I love lists and it was a little daunting for me because I'm like, I want to listen to them all. But then I went and I looked on my iTunes and I'm currently subscribed to 20 different podcasts at this moment. I'm like, I don't know if I can add more. I don't know if my brain will explode. So I'm interested to hear what you took away as the top ones.
1: Okay, great. So uh, one of the top ones that I chose is only 10 minutes long. And that jumped out at me because time is so precious mm-hmm. for everybody. I don't know how you find the time to read as much as you do and to listen to as many podcasts as you do, but- No sleep. I, no sleep. I, <laughs> that's it. I, I need my sleep. But um, there were two that I found that were only 10 minutes long. One is hashtag EdChatRadio. Radio. Again, that's hashtag Ed, Ch- Ed Chat Radio. And sometimes all you need is 10 good minutes of passionate discussion to fire you up for your teaching day. The hosts of this podcast scan Twitter hashtag EdChat for interesting discussion points and then reach out to the most influential tweeters for a lively discussion.
0: So what you're saying is if I were to tweet out and use Twitter, um, hashtag EdChat, and then give a topic I might actually be talking on this podcast too.
1: That's it. That's my understanding.
0: Have you listened to any yet?
1: I have not, but I plan on it, and uh, I will comment on that in future podcasts as I as I <laughs> learn more about them.
0: <laughs> so, what I liked in the little write up on this list, it talked about how this is a really good one for um, developing your personal learning network. So essentially, like not a PLC but a PLN which is good because we all have our passions. We're all passionate about something in education. I mean, if you're a teacher, there's something that you truly care about. And for me, it's using tech in the classroom, which has led me to where I am now. And so for another teacher, it might be reading. It might be something to do with geometry, maybe, or something to do with... I'm sure there's a whole bunch of teaching Harry Potter ones out there, so I'm going to go with teaching Harry Potter. Um, So, to me, this is up right on my alley.
1: Right, and I'm learning, again, I'm I'm a few steps behind Mike when it comes to being up on, on everything technology related. But my husband is always right up there with the latest trends. And he's constantly looking at Twitter and gaining um, people for his personal learning network. Like you said, Mike, he has his interests and hobbies and things that he wants to find out more about. And today, instead of going to a library or simply Googling for something that you're, you're curious about, if you go to Twitter, then you can network with all these different people. And it just expands exponentially in mm-hmm. my mind, which yeah. I love. There was another podcast that was nice and short, bite-sized, 10-minute podcast called Teachers Talking Tech. Teachers Talking Tech, where the host discuss technology usage in the classroom and how you can use it effectively. So that one I'm definitely <laughs> going to listen to, because that's pretty much what we want to do.
0: Except for we don't talk for 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> so let us know if you listen to either of those and what you like about them or any, any um, tips you have for us. And we are, are open to modification of this podcast if it seems that that is <laughs> the way people want us to go.
0: Yeah, see what season two brings because season one's coming to an end very soon. We mentioned that in the podcast that the school year is coming to an end. And that's when the season comes to an end.
1: Oh, so sad. Another podcast I was uh, interested in was for principals. There are actually two on this list for principals. We talk so much about teachers, and I don't want people to think that we do not think about a principal's job. So one of these is called Principally Speaking, and this looks at ways principals can inspire creativity in their teaching staff the other one is called transformative principle so it's not just teachers who speak who seek inspiration it's principals too so the, here they can listen to, to hear coverage of the latest school management approaches as well as how leaders are transforming their schools
0: yeah that one it was sounded interesting to me because it's not only just a person talking or two people talking but they actually go out and they interview principals who are making these kind of changes, the things that we're talking about mm-hmm. that we would love to see and that we know that many of you guys are doing. So that's where that, that one's appealing because it's like, oh, I wonder which principal they're talking to now. Oh, I wonder what they're doing out in Texas or Alaska or Florida or I don't know why I just picked like three of the biggest states. <laughs> California, I had to throw that one in there now.
1: There you go. Exactly. I know some of the podcasts that I do listen to are interviews of other people that are very inspiring to me.
0: I will say, as I was looking through your list, and I know that you've got your top 10, there's actually two of them that I had already been listening to before you sent this list to me. And one of them was the Cult of Pedagogy. Perfect. Um, Was was that on your list at all?
1: It's not on my top 10. (laughs) Not
0: in your top 10. That's all right. You just haven't listened to it yet. So what um, ranges all sorts of things from EdTech, I think the last one I listened to was on how to reach ells in your classroom which i thought it was a very interesting and it's all about the pedagogy of education which is vast and wide at the moment so that was one of them and then ed surge podcast from edtech which is a magazine um and so they kind of do many of the things that we do but on a grander scale because our focus is this district we care Solely about the Springfield School District and how to help you guys, and so Ed Surge podcast kind of looks at the the ow, that was I hope that didn't pop through because my l my arm just popped, um, but it looks at like the entirety of the country and education and technology and tips and different Ed tech debates and just as basically like it's a podcast version of the magazine.
1: Oh, that sounds great. I'm definitely gonna have to check that one out. When you mentioned the uh, one about the ELL Mm -hmm. learners, do you listen to the IDRA Class Notes podcast?
0: I have not, but after reading the little definition, I thought it was interesting.
1: Yes, definitely, so I'll read that to you. It's put out by the Intercultural Developmental Research Association, and each episode delves into the most pressing issues facing U.S. educators and students today, and proposes strategies for fixing them. I love that part, that they're not just discussing them, they're actually proposing strategies to fix them, which is always the more difficult piece. And there's a particular focus on serving minority students and English language learners. Hmm. So I'll definitely check that one out. I'll let you know yeah. what I find. I'm curious that you didn't mention Ed Got Game. Hmm.
0: I know. I love game-based learning and, and that one really spoke to me, but I haven't I didn't even hear about it till I saw this list, and that's why I love lists. Because <laughs> then you are like, oh, I should check this out. That's how I got into um, the TV show newsroom. Is like it popped up on like a best TV of list. I'm like, oh, I like Aaron Sorkin. I will check this out. And then the opening was like oh my gosh, I got to watch this. So I'm hoping that because I, I feel that way about game-based learning in the classroom that this, that podcast will speak to me. I actually have downloaded it and added it to my list of 20. So we Excellent. will see.
1: Excellent. For those of you who are interested in that, that's Ed Got Game for that podcast. And uh, looking at all these different podcasts and you said something just a, a second ago about getting hooked on the podcast and um in the description for this article it states that educational podcasts are exploding in popularity these days and it's no wonder why just like radio programs of your they're compelling to (laughs) listen to and it just makes me laugh because the word your (laughs) that does make me laugh but i when i was describing a podcast as someone who was not familiar with it I did just say it's like a radio show We're it's it's like a radio show so we're almost in this huge cycle in time right where
0: we're going back and repeating I mean (laughs) the most popular podcast on iTunes right now is called Serial which is similar to like the shows back before there were TVs and everyone would gather around the big radio at home and listen to the Wizard of Oz or some sort of scary story or Mm -hmm. tales of true stories or I can't so like serial was is that now Mm -hmm. and so it is really coming full circle
1: yes I'm having flashbacks to watching the Waltons on TV where they would sit around the radio listen (laughs) to the show but I think that's that's fabulous because with all the talk of even though I know you're very much into Mm game-based learning and I understand all of its benefits To get a child away from a screen Mm -hmm. and to work on their listening skills. Well, hold on.
0: Settlers of Catan is a learning game.
1: I have no idea what that
0: is. Oh, my God. (laughs) You should ask your husband when you get home. Say, can we go buy this game and play it? And you will be like, "Uh, this is so awesome. And so is Pandemic. Yes, you're going to nod at me, but these are amazing games. And it's game-based learning, so... Well, I know that maybe they focus on the screen games, and we spend a lot of time on screens already using the computers and technology, but that's not all game-based learning is.
1: Mm. I, I understand, mm. I'm, not, I'm not putting game-based, during, game-based learning down <laughs> at all, I really am not. I am, I am solely encouraging the improvement of listening skills. Which, again, as I always say, everything that we talk about intertwines to a past podcast where we were talking about the ability to hear what your peers are saying and to be present Mm -hmm. in that conversation. So it it all comes back.
0: I remember playing the Oregon Trail, not just the computer version, but we had a dice version um, where we had the, I don't know if the teachers created it or if it was based on something else, um, where... We had different tasks for our day, and our the day we were in, like our whole trip took over a month, um, with multiple rolling to go how far, many miles. You have to make decisions about who you're going to let die from dysentery, and who's gonna freeze to death, because they decided to leave in July, which is a big no-no. <laughs> so, I love game-based learning.
1: which actually ties in very nicely to engaging your students in their learning right you were very engaged obviously in that oregon trail
0: i clearly remember it from fifth grade so
1: (laughs) to this day so there's another podcast available called and i'm not sure how to pronounce this it could be hooked or it could be hook ed captivating students where they explore ways to engage your students and invites educators to spill their most creative secrets for fostering memorable learning experiences So maybe your Oregon Trail Mm -hmm. is mentioned in that podcast.
0: Or even, I think, sixth grade, we were studying the Greeks and the Romans, and we all got to be our own Greek and Roman town, and we had to make decisions. And, of course, me and my friends, we got to—my friends and I, I should say. Let me correct my English there. My friends and I, we chose to be Sparta before we knew anything about Sparta, and then we were super psyched because we were also on all the sports teams. And it's like, we were basically doing 300 around the school. <laughs> so, and that again was game based learning throughout history. And all the math was brought in, everything was brought in. So, I love game based learning. Maybe we'll do a whole podcast on that sometime.
1: I, I foresee that. <laughs> I definitely do because I think there's a lot of misconceptions mm-hmm. as to what game based learning is. And it does have a lot of value. Another podcast on my top 10 list is middle school matters I think a lot of times we forget about middle school right Mm -hmm. I'm an elementary school teacher I was an elementary school teacher as were you and high school gets a lot of attention with students doing fabulous things you know most notably just before they graduate and Mm -hmm. getting out into the real world Uh, so middle school is a special place Uh, my husband Is very very strong with that age group Mm -hmm. can't say that I am (laughs) but I admire people who are this is the place to go to to bond over what it's like teaching this age group to exchange tips and to gather relevant news it's equal parts shop talk shop talk and hanging out again that's middle school matters
0: so that's another PLN right there exactly which again for those of you who are like why do I need a PLN I've got a PLC seeds 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 i'm just going to say that a few times because these things you can learn from them you can put it into your seeds as steps that you're taking to improve your teaching i'm sure if i had the seeds book in front of me i could tell you what standards this exactly fits under but it does fit under them so for those of you who are like i don't want to join another group it might help
1: and sometimes it only takes a few minutes, right? It's it's looking at that tweet that somebody else tweeted mm-hmm. and looking at, at something new and different. Another podcast, House of Hashtag EdTech. You can hear digitally literate teachers share their best techniques for teaching with the use of EdTech. There's reviews and roundups as well as in-depth conversations. Nice. That sounds like something else that could apply to seeds. You can correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. No,
0: that absolutely. Because part of the we learn initiative is focusing on using technology and using technology in the classroom and and as you guys know there's four of us in our whole department so for us to get out to everybody is hard that's why we make a lot of videos that's why we point you in the direction of a lot of videos and so this could be another tool where you can find more assistance or not more ideas in teaching with technology
1: exactly And if you're sitting there thinking, okay, I just heard eight different podcasts. I don't have time to brush my teeth. Never mind, listen (laughs) to a podcast. The next podcast I'm gonna tell you about is the one for you. It's called Tweet Ed. And the hosts of this podcast do all the work for you. They comb through Twitter to locate the week's most passionate, engaging, and relevant discussion happening amongst educators right now. So check that one out. And they'll save you a lot of time.
0: I wonder how we can get on that list. We're gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna make that my mission this summer to get onto the uh, the tweeted list so that we're talked about, and then I could turn around and toss it up onto Brightspace, being like, "Hey, this is a, this is our district being talked about in a positive way." Awesome. Using technology.
1: Love it. Love it. And uh, as I hope I say frequently, I know we have many, many talented teachers in this district and I know from experience many people who have fabulous ideas and uh, have thoughts of being an entrepreneur. So there is a podcast called Edupreneur Podcast for teachers with great ideas for product or new approach to pedagogy. You can hear interviews with edupreneurs who are passionate teachers pursuing entrepreneurial endeavors within and outside the classroom.
0: Yeah, I mean teachers teaching teachers. Love it. I know many teachers use that. They pull all the they pull a lot of their materials from that. So maybe this would be a podcast to help you get yourself organized so that you could be a part of that community too. Cause you have lots of great ideas and you can share them and then you can make a little money on the side. Always good. Yeah.
1: So that's it. There's there's thirty six on this list. That was only my, my top 10, so check out 36 Educational Podcasts to Energize Your Teaching, and that is on Fusion Yearbooks.
0: And all of these links will be on Spreaker.com, where our podcast is hosted, along with YouTube. I did go and double-check myself to make sure that the links are there. They're not clickable, but you can copy the URL and paste it into your whatever browser you choose to use. They're also on YouTube. The, all our podcasts are up on YouTube, and I believe I'm going to double-check on that and get back to you next week that the links are also there. And same with SoundCloud and Google Play. Now has a podcast section, which we are in. So go there, check it out, all the links to not only the articles that I we started out talking about 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago, <laughs> But in this one, with all the links to each of the podcasts that they do discuss.
1: I'm going to add another thought, Mike, that Mm -hmm. uh, now that we have a few episodes under our belt, I want to make sure that our listeners know if they are interested in creating their own podcast, maybe just for their classroom, maybe just for their school, you can definitely reach out to DLA support and Mike will get back to you.
0: I do have a few ideas that I would love to try with other people, especially because we have to do it on the cheap and on the cheap means on the free. And so there are a few ways that you can do podcasts and love to talk to you about it and figure out how it would work for you. That's it for our hot takes.
1: Coming up next, our interview with Jen O'Brien and Kathy Carroll, who attended our tech symposium back in March. Enjoy the interview.
2: My name is Jenny O'Brien, I'm the writing coach at Indian Orchard and I attended the Ask the Right Question um, session, the MCAS 2.0 in Office 365 as well.
3: My name is um, Kathy Carroll and I'm a third grade teacher at Indian Orchard Elementary School. I attended um, Office 365, uh, the Skype program, and reading across the curriculum.
0: Fantastic. So, at the conference, there were, you guys went to three sessions. What is the one thing that you took away from the session being like, yes, I absolutely have to do that?
3: One of the things that I came away, well, there's every single one of the programs that I went to, I was like, thought everything was fabulous. And so, it's kind of hard to pick because I want to use everything that they shared with me. But, um, particularly because I have um, the ELL classroom and some special ed kids in my room. Um, the reading across the curriculum, um, I want to play around with all the the sites that were um, exposed to us and see how I can bring those into the classroom.
2: I Something I implemented right away, and I know you did too, Kathy, was the Office 365 sharing. And my role, I collaborate with all different grade levels, so to have an efficient way to post something and then have everybody have access to it to collaborate on it. I found really helpful and it it's something that we've already started
3: using. Yeah, we have to my team we share we lesson plan together. So having the Office 365 word document right there where it saves automatically and we can share like just by clicking a button, that's fabulous.
1: Can you describe the process before Office 365? Well
3: before 365 we would each have whatever lesson plans we were working on that week, and we'd put it on Word, and then we'd have to save it, and then we'd have to send it through the email to each of our people. And then um, there was no way for us to really collaborate live in any way. It was We worked in isolation and then forwarded them through the regular email. Now we can actually be working on the same document at exactly the same time, which we did Friday during our PD, and uh, we know exactly what someone is doing, and so we can work on the same document at the same time. That's one good thing that has come out of Office 365 that we could not do before. But also, I don't have as many steps to go through if I'm forwarding information onto my teammates. I just hit that little share button, it saves automatically, I don't have to worry about anything, and, and
1: they get that information,
3: like, right away.
1: Was it difficult for the teachers to understand how to use the document that you had shared, how to access it?
3: And um, not really. I mean, they had questions about it, but once we figured it out, it was a very minor glitch, I guess you would say, of how, to, how do we find this? How do we get access to it? And we looked in a couple of places, and bingo, there it was. So it was really easy for us to learn, a lot easier than it was for us to learn Google Docs, which we've tried. So they're enthusiastic about it. Yeah, we're very happy. We've we've used it since we went to the symposium, and um, the girls are really happy. The ladies, whatever you want to call them.
2: Yeah, I was just going to add on. I think a, a common theme is resistance to trying some of this new stuff. So some teams you see, they love it. They grasp onto it right away. And then I'm on another team where we're working on a document over several months and the way we're doing it is we color-coded our names and we all have a color that we write in. So then when I work on it, any changes I make, I color in my color and then I send it back and then it's done like that. So it's so much less efficient than the new way. So I'm trying to get the team there. So
3: Because we our names are color-coded on the Office 365 Word
2: document. So we create like, almost like a key Oh. So, like, if I was purple, any
3: change I made has to be purple. And then I just send it back through email. Does oh, that make sense? Yeah. And then those changes, yeah. So every time you're switching, there's that's a lot of documents to be.
2: Yes. Especially if they come in, like, multiple times. If if you and I send them in at the same time, then somebody's going to have to take our two changes and put them onto the... So we're still trying to get it, everybody to there.
0: It sounds like since the symposium, you guys have found a tool that makes like your planning aspect, much more efficient. Have you found that you've had more time to think about in-classroom work now that you've got this one tool that takes some of that time away of pushing forward documents and waiting to hear responses instead? Now you have, like, the live time feedback.
3: Well, since we've only had a couple of weeks, and we, like I said, we used it on our professional development day, I think that because we were using the word document on 365, we actually accomplish more. I don't think we, we accomplish more of our goal. We had the same goal, but we were able to finish more of it in a shorter period of time, not necessarily giving us all that quote unquote extra time because there's no such thing. There's always something to do, but I think it, what it does is it makes us more comfortable with that tool and more willing to try the next thing that we might've learned about. I know for me, that's okay. I can do this now. I now I'm ready to move on to trying something else. Finding the time is really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add on. I had an experience. I was working something for our
2: intervention teachers, and I got stuck. And so I just shared it, and I said, here's what I have so far, what do you think? And then I got feedback, you know, within that hour. So that was really cool. Because before, I would have just finished it and then sent it as an attachment, you know. So it was cool to be able to pass it off while working on it.
0: So this is more what you guys have done so far with the tools has been more on the teacher side of it. How do you see this tool now being implemented in the classroom? Or is it something that can be implemented in your classroom?
3: The Office 365?
0: Yeah, we'll, we can start there.
3: Well, I'm not very tech savvy, which is one of the reasons I took the symposium in the first place. I'm not sure. I know that the kids will be able to use the um, Word document. I'm not. I'm not understanding yet how they would use it if I can do if I can see what they're doing at the moment that they're doing it. I'm not sure how all of that works. So I really don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I can't answer that question. The um somehow I think I remember them saying that somehow it can go into bright space or something. Somehow it all connects. But I'm not I need more training on how that all works. So that's like a next step for me on I have a lot of questions and <laughs> not enough answers. But you're comfortable with
1: uh, editing the Word document, Mm -hmm. and both of you seem confident enough that you could present that piece to others in your school, which you have, because now you're using it, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've
3: used it. I've used it with my team, and um, so they're comfortable with it, and um, I know Jenny, we've used it with Jenny when we're working together in our uh, common planning time. I think that that's...
0: So we've spent a lot of time talking about Office 365. Um, now, I know that wasn't the only one you guys went to, the only session. Um, anything with the other two sessions that you were really excited about?
2: Um, I went to the Ask the Right Questions one, and it was the sequence of steps that you take for delivering a lesson that was embedding technology, which I thought was awesome. And so the teacher starts off with something on using technology. It could be a visual or a sound even. They use, like, the sound of a tornado and that kind of drives the whole beginning of the lesson, and from that prompt, the kids then have to come up with as many questions as they can, and they end up revising their questions and creating more higher-order questions, and then once this all gets going, then the teacher introduces the concept of project-based learning, where they have a choice of how they're going to present the information. So instead of doing it at the beginning and saying, we're going to create a PowerPoint, it kind of, the information they gather... Based on the questions that they're asking and creating, that drives what technology piece should be used to present the information. So I thought that was really cool, um, and I just did—I just included that in planning with a fifth-grade team. Um, they're working on summarizing information from multiple sources, so I introduced this idea of project-based learning, and she loved it. And she got really excited and kind of took it and ran with it. So I want to try that with all of our teams.
3: One class that I, one of the classes that I took, that was the Skype one. I thought it was really interesting because we don't really get to go on field trips. Um, it's very expensive to go to, on a field trip, and anything that's really locally. Um, there isn't anything really locally that third grade can do because in second grade, they go down to the quadrangle in fifth grade, they go to Bonnie's Island. So there's not a whole lot, um, locally that we can go to. Um, but, um, there's places that we can Skype and, um, some of the Skype opportunities are actually live that she showed us. And then some of them are, kind of like taped sort of, so that you can go into them, but there's you're not interacting one-on-one, but you can see the museum and you can walk around the museum. And they have these like exhibits that you can see through the Skype. And um, you can visit different places in the country. Um, And a lot of them are at no cost. And some of the people that they went to speak to they found, you know, they, the teacher did some research and then she contacted the people and she asked them if they would mind doing, you know, you do some background work and stuff. Um, and some of the places had never done a Skype before, but they were very willing to do a Skype. So it was new for them, a, a, a way to access kids across the country. Um, some of the Skypes they've actually done in other countries. So it's a chance for people to, to realize that there's life outside of Springfield. And that there's a lot of things. So the kids can learn um, similar things from different people across the world or across the country. And then they could also learn about how, how we're different or what, for example, they used a North Carolina science museum or something. And um, so they had a little video that they showed us that she had, like, did on her phone. She kind of videoed her own Skyping thing. And we could see the kids actually interacting. And it was just kind of cool that... The the person in North Carolina was calling on, oh, the student in the red sweater, would you answer, you know, because that student was raising their hand or whatever. So it was pretty cool that they're having that one-on-one contact without actually being outside of the classroom and they get to learn about different things and see different things um, that we wouldn't get to do or see because of where we are or what we can do within the limits of our finances in Springfield.
0: Yeah, it would be great to be able to go to Australia and go study the coral yeah. reef, but we don't have the money or right. the time to really do that.
3: Or even going to Antarctica and being able to learn about penguins, for example, mm. you know, which kids love penguins. So we can't go to Antarctica, but we can Skype Antarctica because the scientists are down there and, and they do those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, Skype in the classroom is a really awesome tool that I'm glad that we're seeing more and more out in the district now.
3: Yeah, so that's one of the things that I want to try at least once before the end of the school year. Um, But finding that time to, like, do the research and all of that, Mm -hmm. it's hard because there's so many other things that take priority.
1: Have you thought about Skyping simply with another classroom in the building
3: or another school? That was one of the suggestions that was brought up that we could Skype either in another classroom or um, the presenters even offered Skyping their classrooms in the district, Um, it's just a matter of the logistics of getting that all set up and when can I do it, we're in, you know, right now we're in MCAS, so that's something that like looks like that would be something that would be great to do after we're through the testing season. Mm And and be able to implement that and be a great way to end the year for the kids, I think.
1: So you sound very enthusiastic. For someone who described herself as afraid of technology, you seem to have jumped right in. I'm trying.
3: I'm I'm really trying to embrace it and um, be able to say, this is what I want to do. And it's going from point A to point C. And I'm still trying to figure out the point B. Um. In a in a logical way for myself that would make sense.
1: Can you talk about why you're trying to embrace it?
3: Well, technically, I'm a technology dinosaur because <laughs> this didn't this technology did not exist in my world um, when I was going through school. But it is the way of the future, and I want to embrace it because. I think that, well, I know that with my kids in the classroom, they embrace when we are able to go on the computer at all. And I've already, you know, I upload videos on Discovery Ed and all of those kinds of things for the kids. And I want to be able to make it um, better for them so that they actually get more out of it and that I want to be able to learn how to implement all of those things to make their life a little bit easier on the educational front, but also kind of streamline things for me in the back end because I know there's a way to make life a little bit easier for the teachers. I haven't figured it out yet but I know that there are people that can do that and I want to do that too because I'm old and I (laughs) want to do that.
2: Well that's why it's great to have these conferences because it you know you're surrounded by people who are there to support you learn new things and it puts you in that kind of environment where you're going to walk away with new things to try. And, and it is daunting to try to learn this stuff on your own. So to go with people from your school or the district um, that are willing to make this shift with you is just, it's a it's a nice supportive um, environment to do it in.
3: Yeah. It's great that the district provides this op I, this is not the only district I've worked in. Springfield has provided an abundance of professional development that I've taken advantage of. Uh, I try to take advantage of when I can. And, you know, I'm learning new things all the time. Um, and colleagues help out too.
0: So, would you say your enthusiasm has helped other colleagues that you have jump into trying some of these tech tools that we have, whether it's Brightspace or Office 365 or Discovery Ed or Tenmarks or Skype in the classroom or iReady? I don't know what you guys all have here at your school. But those are just a few that just Mm -hmm. come to my mind right away.
3: With my team, my team is very enthusiastic about embracing anything that can help us educate our kids. And um, some of my colleagues on my team are much more tech savvy than I am. So they are helping me. And so when I have something new to share, they embrace it immediately because they are already so much more tech savvy. So this just makes them that much more tech savvy and they're very much embracing all of that um so yeah
2: yeah I, I agree um I showed the discovery ed um presentation to the teams that I have and you know it's just kind of showing them and getting people familiar and then they take it and run with it and make it their own so I think enthusiasm does help spread it and it's just you know awareness of what's
3: out there and what you can do with it and getting their foot in the door and then from there well, I think awareness was a, is a key thing because there's so much out there that that awareness, not knowing what's out there and how we can bring it into the classroom. That was the whole symposium for me. Another
2: one I love, I didn't do, go to this one, I just know of it, but the bright space discussion. Um, like I tried to use that at common planning time or something and just to familiarize again, make awareness because that one for me as a classroom teacher, increases engagement. It's a great tool for assessment because you can see what kids are writing, what they're thinking, it's low stakes because they don't have to share something out. You see that spillover effect, you know, if I'm reading your writing and I see a word I like, then I'm suddenly putting it into my writing and it's all happening while you're teaching, you know, guided reading or something and it's silent. So, yeah, we're definitely trying to spread what we feel comfortable with and we definitely see an impact, I'd say.
0: So when thinking about other teachers, you have teachers like yourselves who are embracing technology. What would you say to those who are still pushing back against any technology in the classroom and are, I don't want to put words in their mouth, so like... That baby steps.
3: Baby steps. Give something that you feel comfortable with a go, and then when you're comfortable with it, try something else. That's That's been my approach. One of my goals since technology has been introduced into the classroom in the first place was to try and put tech, more technology in. Every year, I have a little bit more than I had the year before. So I have to go by baby steps because until I understand it, I'm not going to be bringing it into the classroom. So as soon as I understand something that I can bring it in. And so little by little, the kids are doing more and more things with technology as I learn them. I'm bringing it to them. And as I'm learning them or my colleagues are helping me learn something new, I try to embrace it and and, and use it and spend some time getting comfortable with it. So find something My recommendation to other people would be find something that you have a passion about, learning more about, whether it's um, learning how to use a particular site or a particular app. Um, You play with it first. And then when you're comfortable, I think then you're willing to take something else on.
1: And it sounds like you have a very supportive group here at your school where if you had any questions, there's definitely someone that you can go to with those questions
3: right and if that person didn't have the answer they would be able to tell you maybe who would
2: yeah our teachers are really good at passing along useful things or sharing tools that have worked and so that alone can help people who are resistant because someone's already tried it you know there's always people trying different things and then you get it passed
3: along so we are good at sharing
0: so for the future since this is our last symposium of the year what would you like to see Going forward into next year, symposium wise.
3: For me, what would work well for me is if I had an opportunity to take a class on one of these for a day. So to be able to pick, or even for half of the time, you know, half of the time or something. Because it was really hard to go in 25 minute blocks or 30 minute blocks from one place to another place to another place. And we were highlighted all of this information. And now I want to bring all of this stuff in, but I have so many questions and the resistance for me would be, well, I have so many questions, I can't do this, you know? So then all of that beautiful training that I had just stops because I'm overwhelmed. So I would appreciate if I could have, for example, a class, and I'm sure they're going to be out there that I could take either after school or something like that, that would teach me how to bring Brightspace better into my class, how I can use Brightspace with my kids for something other than a testing medium, which is what I use it for now because I don't know anything else.
2: Yeah, you just made me have an idea that it's targeting what you're saying. So maybe if there was like five symposiums and there's five top tools or whatever, we survey people and find out what they're most interested in, and then there's, you know, the first session is followed up by the second, third, fourth, and fifth. Like it follows one thing all the way through. I don't know if that would, because then we would be going deeper.
0: So I don't know. I mean, logistically,
2: that would be tricky. Because what if you want to switch?
1: But right. I hear what you're saying. I, can you? I, like, yeah, go ahead. Can you imagine holding a symposium event just within your school, where teachers in your school are the presenters, and those who are not presenting can then rotate to the sessions? Well, funny that she would ask that question, Jenny. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. Our, so we're both effective educator coaches, and we took all the needs of our uh, mentees, and we ran a symposium-like event where they got to rotate to different stations. So we did do that, but we want to do a technology one. There's four of us effective educator coaches. In the building, yeah. So we're going to try to do one this spring, the same model. We, we each presented like four times in a row for 15 minutes, and they got to pick and choose, and it was really well-received, so we mm-hmm. definitely want to do that. Excellent.
0: I mean, you guys have been fantastic. I don't really have any other questions for you. Do you, Suzanne?
1: I can't think of any now, but uh, I'm sure I will think of more and contact you in the future.
3: Well, we're here. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming out.
0: fascinating interview. And it was really great to hear from people who attended the conference, not just where a lot of our interviews have been, have been with people who presented at the conference. So it was really great to hear that and that they actually took stuff away and were applying it, especially the Office 365 stuff.
1: Right. And what I loved that Kathy said was that she's comfortable enough with this one tool that now she's willing to try something else, which is exactly what we want.
0: And the purpose behind why we do the podcast, why we do all our trainings, why we do the conference. Um, And that's really great. And so just hearing that from someone who admittedly was very not tech-friendly, giving in and trying, not giving in, but like giving it a try.
1: Embracing the way of the future were the words that she used. Perfect. Love it.
0: Yes, so it was really great to hear that, and how the they're co- by being able to collaborate easier, it did take some time off of that planning time. So
1: right, but the symposium was well worth their time. They would definitely attend one in the future, and I'm sure with our help, uh, more schools will be holding their own tech symposiums, making it more convenient for teachers to attend and to share their fabulous knowledge with each other.
0: Yeah. That would be that is one of our goals for next year, I think is trying to figure out how to do more conference like things. So I know that they mention in the interview that's they're not opposed to that idea either, so I also like that they talked about Skype. Skype is a great tool. we've blogged about it we've had we've had other people that we interview talk about it. It's really easy to try. It's one of those tools where it's like doing pen pals. I'm sure those teachers who have been around long enough remember the days when you would like connect with another teacher in another state or another town in your state, and you guys would communicate. And this is something that I remember doing in school. We had pen pals. Right. So we're talking
1: pen pals. We're talking radio shows. It's (laughs) still all coming back
0: together. All coming back. I'm glad that we got to, they got to share with you. I'm glad you got to hear with, what they had to say about the conference. And hopefully it gives you hope for the future in using technology in the classroom. This week, our question of the week is, where do you get your tech tool knowledge from? Is it just us? Is it just someone in your building? Or is there someplace else that you go and you learn from? We'd love to hear about it because it may help us and it may help your colleagues. So leave us a message on Spreaker.com where the podcast is hosted. You can leave it right in the comments. You can leave it in the comments in iTunes or on YouTube. You could also message us directly at DLA support at com. We got a lot of nice feedback this past week about people who are enjoying what we're doing. There was nothing too specific, um, but we want to share with you that we are receiving information from you, from some of you who have enjoyed our podcast. And we hope that we can continue furthering your learning, and your education. I'm Mike Thomas.
1: And I'm Suzanne Zargis.
0: And we'll see you next week.